Well, good morning, Crossview Church. It's great to have you here with us. I'm so glad you're worshiping here with us. Uh, we are wrapping up our series that we had, a five-week series on the five solas, looking at called the Glorious Gospel, and it was kind of a mixture of church history and biblical exposition and theology. And some of you have asked for resources. Uh, when Pastor Chris started the series, uh, he gave one called The Unquenchable Fire by Michael Reeves. Uh, and I just wanted to start off by giving you this resource as well called The Reformation by Stephen Nichols, How a Monk and a Mallet Changed the World. This is a short book, very easy to read, gives you lots of information historically about what happened during the time of the Reformation. So if you're looking for a resource, I encourage this one as well. We live in a celebrity-obsessed culture. We live in a celebrity-obsessed culture. The celebrity gossip industry, fueled by our own desires to be in the know, is a three billion with a B dollar industry a year in the United States. 50% of 18 to 25 year olds surveyed in the last year believe they will become world famous. And in fact, they would prefer fame over financial security. And the church isn't immune to this either. My stomach turned when I found out about this classification called celebrity pastor that is given to pastors whose downloads of their sermons exceeds a certain amount. God have mercy. We've forgotten what a pastor, a shepherd of God's people even is. Add to that many, many people in the United States today base their daily self-worth upon the number of likes and posts to their social media. So in a culture like that, the culture where we live, in a culture like that, what does it mean to say to God alone be the glory? Where we live in that place, that celebrity-obsessed place, what does it mean to say to God alone be the glory. That's a challenge. In contrast to the 16th century when people like Johann Sebastian Bach, a great composer, and George Frederick Handel would compose amazing pieces of music and they would sign it with just this SDG. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. There were some of their works they didn't even know who really wrote because they were afraid to put their name on it in fear of taking glory away from God. Today we wrap up our series on the five solas. And we looked at this thing called the Reformation where the church went askew, the church drifted because prone to wander we are. And a group of great, brave men and women brought the church back into this place of recovery of the gospel. And we saw things like sola scriptura, that scripture alone is our highest authority. We saw things like sola fide, where we are justified, made, declared righteous by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone, not through anything else. We looked at sola gratia, where we are saved by grace alone, not, we don't earn our salvation 
And then last week we looked at Solus Christus where it's in Christ alone, not in some religious system that we are saved. And when we look at these four things, when we look at these four elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see it. this is a gift that God has given to us, us who were declared unrighteous, us who were uh, rebelling against who he was. He came and gave us these things in the state when we were enemies to God, out of his love, out of his goodness, out of who he is. That being the case, out of his perfect, loving, holy heart, brought us to this place through the gospel, the only right, true response is to say, to God alone be all the glory. That is the only right response to a heart converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God alone deserves these gifts. And this morning I want to talk about three ways that we can live for the glory of God alone as Christians. But before I do that, I want to define and dive into this word called glory. Because we're going to talk about it a lot. Glory, if you look in the dictionary as a, as a dictionary definition, will have the word brightness or splendor, or fame. The Hebrew word for glory is weighty, or heavy. And the idea there is this picture that when the kings of the Old Testament would go and conquer lands, they would collect the treasures from the areas they conquered, and they would adorn themselves in some of these treasures. So they'd place these things upon themselves, and they would be heavy with the glory of what they conquered. It was almost like Old Testament bling that they would put on after making these great uh, victories in battle and they would wear this. And so the more weight you had, the greater your honor and status. Throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, no one deserves more glory than God himself. Moses was having a conversation with God in Exodus chapter 33, 18. And just let me read you this conversation. Moses was curious and he said, God, please let me see your glory. God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Think about what that would have been like. God saying, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will show you who I am. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. There's so much glory and weight to God that we can't even behold in our current state what it's like. Elijah, Isaiah, and others encountered the glory of God and wrote about it. Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration saw the glory of God. The word for glory in the New Testament is doxa. It means radiance or brightness or awe-inspiring. 
It's the word the shepherds use. Here we are entering into the Christmas season. It was the word that the shepherds used when they said, glory to God in the highest. That glory they declared is this word for awe-inspiring weight of God. A simple definition is the glory of is God's greatness made visible in all sorts of different ways. God's greatness made visible. My wife and I reminisce back when our kids were young, and some of your parents here will know exactly what I'm talking about, but if you remember going to the elementary school plays, um, there was, it's usually always in a gym, all the lights are off, it's really dark, and then all of a sudden there's this big spotlight that you hear in the back because it's so giant and big. Boom! And of course, you have to have a student do it, right? So there's this big spotlight on the stage and it's constantly going like this and swinging over here and swinging over here. And by the time you get out, you're nauseous from this spotlight. You can only see clearly what's in the spotlight. The stuff outside the spotlight, you can't see. We see with greater clarity what's in the spotlight. And as followers of Jesus, part of our life's mission is to shine the spotlight on God by how we live. And we shine the spotlight on God by how we live, by stepping out of the spotlight ourselves and putting God in the spotlight so others see the greatness of God. That's living to the glory of God, for us to be out of the spotlight of our life and God in the spotlight of our life. But the truth is this. All of us, including myself, like to shine the spotlight on ourselves. Due to our sinful nature, we're addicted to the spotlight being always on us. Many times we want to hijack the spotlight that should be rightly upon God, and we place it on ourselves as we yearn for people to see us, as we yearn for people to appreciate us, as we yearn for other human beings to affirm us and promote us and to see how great we are. The Christian life is always a battle over who's going to be in the spotlight of our life. Is it going to be us or is it going to be God? And living for God's glory means my life is not about me and what I want, but about God and what he wants. And the goal of every follower of Jesus Christ is to learn to live our lives with God in the spotlight and us being outside of the spotlight. And so my rest of my time, I want to focus on three ways that we do that. How do we live with God in the spotlight and us on the outsides? Three ways that help us do that that come from Philippians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to Philippians chapter 1. You can turn it on and go to Philippians. I'll be using the Christian Standard Bible. If you have a paper Bible and you're kind of new to the Bible, Philippians is towards the back. If you go and, and go through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Keep going. Get Ephesians. Keep going. Philippians is after Ephesians. You'll find it there. Three ways we can live our lives to the glory of God alone. How in the world 
Do we live our lives to the glory of God alone? Three ways. I'm not going to read this passage in its entirety. Rather, I'm going to highlight three places that give us this instruction. The first way that we live to the glory of God alone is that we live out our own spiritual transformation. We live out the work that Jesus Christ did in our heart. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And I pray this, Paul says, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. The Apostles Paul's prayer here is that we would continue to be formed into the person of Jesus, that we'd be continually formed into his likeness. When we're introduced to Jesus Christ and we invite him into our life, it's not done at that point. We are saved at that point, like we saw in these previous sermons, and we are declared righteous at that point, but then we are called to continue to grow. We enter this process called sanctification, which means that it's a process where we become more and more holy. It won't be complete until we see Christ face to face, but we are committed to this process where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and we grow and we become more and more holy, more and more like him. And one of the ways we live, give glory to God and live for his glory alone is that we are committed to that process. And we live that out. The reformers saw in scripture that what Paul was getting at is once a person has new life, once they're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, it's just the beginning. And we use that grace to continue to carry us on a journey of becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and us yielding to him. Another way to put these verses is Paul saying, my prayer is that you would cling to this process where your love for God and others would keep on growing, where you will be able to discern what is of God and you may, be leave, and you may leave behind what is false and cling to the truth. As you grow in the truth, and you become more and more blameless, more and more holy, filled with the fruit of a righteous life, not because of how you earned it, but because of what God has done in your heart, and you yield and lean into that. How do we do that? We gaze into Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit, we pursue what we see. We gaze into Christ through his word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pursue what we see there. But you know what often happens? Oftentimes we pursue what we see, but then we get stuck. Christians have been getting stuck throughout the ages as they try to pursue God. And when we get stuck, instead of going to God in prayer and talking to other Christians and getting encouragement and help and advice, what happens is we oftentimes take the easy way out when we're stuck. And when we're stuck, instead of pursuing and giving glory to God and give, putting him in the spotlight, we create an image of ourselves and who we think we are. You see, throughout history and time, 
People set out to pursue God and give him glory. And when they get stuck, the natural human reaction due to our sinful nature is then to jump into the spotlight ourselves and make something great of ourselves. We've seen it from Old Testament to to now. It's this built-in thing where when we're stuck, we hijack the glory of God. And we put the shine and the spotlight on us in all of our time, in all of our effort, in all of our creativity go into maintaining this image that we create for ourselves, that we want in the spotlight. Instead of journeying with Jesus, we build this image and put that image in that spotlight so everybody can see it's an epidemic in the church of the United States today. When we live that way, of trying to maintain, quote unquote, us, to try to maintain this image and pretending, it's exhausting. We become obsessed. And this morning, God is calling us as his followers to end that race and gaze into Christ and bring him into the spotlight and journey into him by taking ourselves out of the spotlight and putting God back in it. When we are out of the spotlight, we stop pretending and we simply say, God, I need you. Making that statement, God, I need you, pulls us out of the spotlight and puts him there. The second way we live for the glory of God alone is to wisely and humbly share the gospel. Wisely and humbly share the gospel. Look at verses 12 to 9. Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. He's in house arrest and he writes this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, this arrest for preaching the gospel, uh, has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word of fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice. Yes, And I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul had this passion not only to declare the glory of God with his life, but to tell others about Jesus and who he was and who he is. To tell others what Jesus has done. It was his life passion to tell of this Jesus where there's grace instead of guilt, where there's mercy instead of shame, where there's eternal life forever with him, pleasures forevermore versus life separated from him in hell and darkness. This is the good news. This is the gospel. 
that all of us have sinned and fallen short and what we deserve, what is fair, is that we are judged and, ex- and kicked out of God's presence forever and ever and, and to live because of our rebellion in a judgment state of torment forever and ever. That's what's fair. But God, out of his love and his mercy, saw us in that state and he did what was unfair. He sent his son Jesus to the world. And Jesus lived that perfect life that you and I were unable to live. And he went to the cross, and on the cross, he became our sin. And he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. And now gives us this amazing offer that if we come and repent and believe, we can exchange our sinful record for his perfect righteousness. And when we invite him in, he wraps us in his righteousness so we stand before God, not in our merits, but in who he is. See, that's the gospel message. And one of the ways we live for God's glory alone is by preaching this gospel first and foremost to ourselves. That we know that story that I just shared. That when we wake up in the morning and all the lies about ourselves come flooding into our heads, that our reaction isn't to combat those lies by creating this image and putting myself in the spotlight. No, the action is to combat those lies by remembering the gospel and who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and that I stand as a child of God bathed in the blood of Jesus because of who God is and how powerful he is and that is the basis of truth in my identity. I preach the gospel to myself where powers of lies are broken. And then I share that gospel with words and actions. Paul goes on here to share that some preach that out of selfish reasons. They proclaim the gospel in a way that shines the light on them. And Paul says, that's all right, God will work that out. The gospel is being preached. But you know what? Paul never, ever shared the gospel like that. Paul never shared the gospel to put glory upon himself, always to show how great Christ is. And we know that because when Paul preached the gospel, he did it in his weakness. In fact, he bragged about his weakness so that Christ would be made whole. One of his strategies to keep Christ in the spotlight in himself out of the spotlight is he would talk about his weaknesses so that Christ's strength can be in the spotlight. We see this all over the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Paul says, we thought we were going to die. Indeed, we felt we received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves. That's why it happened. But that we trust in God who raises the dead. He goes somewhere else in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God, telling you about this gospel, I didn't come with the brilliance of speech or wisdom. I didn't set out to be a celebrity pastor where all my downloads would happen. He said, I didn't come with that. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, says the great apostle Paul. Why? So that your faith, your relationship with God, wouldn't be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
That was his goal. Preaching himself out of the spotlight so that God gets all the glory. When we humbly share the gospel, motivated in exposing our weakness, God shows up in glory. And God has shown this to be true time and time and time again. I had the most amazing opportunity to share the gospel with my dad on his deathbed before he died. He didn't know God. And he was very nervous about what was coming. He knew he was dying, and he was nervous about what was ahead. And I could tell he was nervous. I left. I came back to Wisconsin. God got a hold of my heart. I knew I had to go back down and talk to him. I was up at 2 in the morning, and it wouldn't shake. So at 4 in the morning, I got dressed, made the trip down to Chicago again. And I walked in his room, and I wanted to get him before anyone else was in the room. And he had lots of visitors. So I came in, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, Dad, I tell people for a living what happens after this life is done. That's part of my job. And I'd be a terrible son if I didn't share with you how you can know for sure what's going to happen to you when you pass from this, de- this life and you die. Can I share that with you? And he said, please. And I began sharing the gospel message that I just shared with you a few minutes ago. And you know what? It was the absolute worst presentation of the gospel you can ever hear in your life. Because I was crying and stumbling and doing, I was getting, it was just, I, it, I couldn't st- speak it right. All, every, the way I rehearsed it, my head for four hours down, left, and I'm there just stumbling through this gospel, holding my dad's hand the best I can. My dad's probably thinking, you do this for a living, son, you need another job. <laughs> I had a chance to lead him in a prayer to give his life to Jesus Christ. And two days after that, the last conversation I had, he grabbed my hand and he said, I want to tell you, that prayer that we prayed, that was significant. And you know why that was significant? Because God moved. He gets all the glory. I was stumped. I was a mess. But see, when we commit to his glory and not our own, he takes our feeble weaknesses. He takes that. Some of you here feel like, I could never share the gospel with somebody. You are more than qualified if that's your stance. Because he takes that weakness, that knowledge that you don't have, that fear, that stumbling, and he uses it so that he gets all the glory and you don't. Glory to God. So that leads to two very important questions. Do you know the gospel well enough to preach it to yourself? Can you recite to your own heart when lies are coming in at your soul who Jesus is and what he did for you? Do you know this gospel? There's many Christians who don't. They think they're Christians. But do you really know this gospel well enough to let it be a sword in your hand against the lies of the evil one when he tells you all these horrible things about yourself. Do you know that you are a child of God bought by the blood of Jesus? And can you declare that? Can you rehearse that? The second question is this. Do you know the gospel well enough to share it with others? Could if someone asked you, what is this Christianity thing all about? Go right to the gospel with that question. Do you know it well enough? If you don't, it's okay. But don't stay there. Learn it. Grow in it. We have a tool that you can grab today on the way out, on the table, right in the middle. It's a Knowing Gospel Personally booklet. You could take this, and now the rest of the year, keep it in your pocket, keep it in your purse, 
Keep it near you. Pull it out. Read it over and over and over and over. Get the gospel inside of you. Learn this gospel so that you can preach it to yourself and preach it to others. The reformers recovered this gospel when the church went awry into craziness. Now let's keep it first and foremost by putting it first and foremost in our hearts. I encourage you to grab one of these on the way out. Start there. And let God get the glory. The final way that we make sure God gets the glory is we live together for the gospel, worshiping God in community. We live together for the gospel, worshiping God in community. Look at verses 27 to 30. Paul starts this. I love this out. Love this verse starting out in verse 27. It says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to unpack that in a second, but many people think the theme of Philippians is joy and joy in suffering. I acknowledge that's there, but I think the main theme of the book of Philippians is this verse right here. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul uses this amazing thing. Let me continue on to verse 30. Then, whether I come and see you or absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm, church, in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. We have lots of opponents in this day and age. Not being frightened by that. This is a sign of destruction for them, but for your salvation in this from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that, I saw, that you saw I had, and now hear that I have, this battle for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul uses amazing language here. He uses this language of citizenship. We're citizens of heaven, and he uses language of battle. Why would he do that? He does that because in 27 B.C., the emperor Octavian at the time took this town, Philippi. This, this book of Philippians is a letter written to a church in this town called Philippi. It was the church of Philippi. And in that town, it was declared by the Roman emperor Octavian to be a resort town for veteran military leaders and commanders who did amazing things in conquering different lands for the Roman Empire. So Octavian would see these amazing Roman Empire generals and military commanders, and he would give them and their family this resort area of living in this town called Philippi. It was 10 miles off the sea, but it was on a trade route so they can get everything they need. And it was this idyllic town given to those who served their quote-unquote country, who were good citizens of the Roman Empire. And so Paul takes this now and he says, okay, you good citizens of Roman Empire who sacrificed and did all these things for our empire, now you become Christians, you are now citizens of heaven, not citizens of the Roman Empire. In this culture of the Roman Empire where all the glory is poured upon you, where you jump into the spotlight, you now need to live 
outside the spotlight so the glory of God gets the spotlight. You are now citizens of heaven over here in the dark, not citizens of the Roman Empire in the spotlight. He is saying, in light of all that God has done, your loyalty, your allegiance is to God alone. And you walk this out together as one church. As one church, it says, you stand together for the gospel. No, it doesn't say that. Military language, these are generals. You contend together for the gospel. Contending together literally means to join together as one soul to stand and display the gospel and the glory of God. That was his command to this church in this town called Philippi, and that would be his command to this church in Wisconsin Rapids today. We do this by worshiping together. As blood-bought possessions of Christ alone that we learned about, we gather in his church to give him glory and to worship him alone, to put the spotlight on him as one corporate church family and say that you are worthy of all glory. There is none like you. But you know what we have to guard against? We have to guard against this attitude that creeps into our hearts, that can so easily come in. It can, that where we come into a place like this, and instead of encountering God together, we begin to evaluate everything that's going on around us. I struggle with this. When I'm on vacation and I go visit other churches, I walk in with my clipboard of critique, and I miss Worshiping the God who saved my soul. Our culture has infected us to the point where we have been conditioned that when we walk into a worship service, instead of worshiping God as one church family, we begin to worship our own preferences and styles. We critique songs and sermons. In our heads, we're giving likes and dislikes to everything we see. And in doing so, we've missed God's glorious call to worship. We've become connoisseurs of sermons and judges of worship songs. And when that happens, it's apparent that our culture has shaped us into consumers of worship instead of worshipers of God. And when we do that, we turn the spotlight on us. Instead, we should live as Paul tells us, to live our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ where we enter in as God's family together, focused and wanting to behold God, to encounter God, to worship God. Who gives a rip about the preferences of Dan DeRoshi? This is almighty God we're meeting with who saved us And it was costly. He sent his son to die on a cross so that we wouldn't face eternity in hell but could be with him forever in heaven. And he did that when I was an enemy of his. How glorious he is. And we need each other, church, to encourage one another in this direction. When you're out there talking and and we feel like, man, it's, it's kind of about me. Hey, let's go in and worship God together. Let's worship him Let's remember what this is about. It's all about him. 
See, here's the great truth. Life is not about us and what we want. Life is about God and what God wants. And we all amen that. But here's what we miss. It's easy to amen that and not live it out. And if we're not living it out, what we miss is that we are at our absolute best. Life is at its absolute best, soul-fulfilling when we live for the glory of God and not ourselves. We have peace, we have grace, we have mercy. We are at our best when we worship God and we are out of the spotlight and he is in it. That is where life is at its best. And we miss that. One of my great characters of church history that I enjoy is a guy named Irenaeus and he said this, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. The glory of God, this thing we're talking about, is humanity of fully alive. See, we flourish when God gets the glory alone, and we miss that. We flourish when we step out of the spotlight, and God is in the spotlight. That is where true life begins. That is where life becomes fulfilling and satisfying. And that is where we begin to live as God intended us to live We get our life, our strength, our meaning, our purpose for living out the gospel of God to his glory and glory alone. As I wrap up, I want to encourage you, church family, across your church, as you step into this holiday season and what's Thanksgiving and Christmas, I encourage you to focus on Jesus Christ. And let the spotlight be on God alone in all your family gatherings, not yourself. The reformers were not perfect. They had blind spots. But when we think of people like Martin Luther, Catherine von Bora, Jane Grey, John Calvin, Marguerite Denare, Olympia Martha, Marie Dentonaire, Thomas Cranmore, John Huss, and many, many, many others who helped the church rediscover this amazing gospel and what God did. That scripture alone is our authority. That we are brought into relationship by trusting Jesus alone. By experiencing grace alone. We don't have to earn it all because of Christ alone, not some church system. When we get that and come to that place, there is no other right response to see how God gloriously brought us into relationship with him, not because of who we are, but because of how amazing and loving and holy he is. The only right response is to give God alone all the glory. And my prayers for us as a church is that we will do that by continuing to walk out our spiritual transformation, by sharing the gospel humbly with wisdom, and by gathering here and encountering God and beholding him in worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, To you be all the glory. Lord, I ask that 
by the power of your spirit, we acknowledge that we can't follow you without you. We need you. We need you to even follow you. And God, we come before, and I just want to acknowledge as one corporate church family, if there's areas of our heart and our soul where carrying on through the culture and the world we live in, the dust of falsehoods have fallen upon our hearts. Would you cleanse us, please, by your grace and your mercy, that we may see you as you truly are. And in doing so, stepping out of the spotlight as we live in a place that constantly screams at us to put the spotlight upon ourselves, God, will you protect us from that? Will you help us to see the futility of that? Would you help us to see how empty putting the fake, false self on display for the world is for our souls? And would you help us find our way back if we've drifted to love and life and glory to you alone? God, help us put you in the spotlight and be content there. Let us experience what you desired for us when it comes to life in you. And God, I pray that this would happen in our hearts and we'd see it multiplied in your church, in this town, in this state, in this nation, and throughout the world. Your church living and giving you glory and honor to you and you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.